globalization, a big word with big looming questions. For most of the past 75 years, the world was guided by the vision that closer economic ties among nations would foster peace and shared prosperity. However, recent crises in geopolitics, public health, and the environment have many convinced that it's best to go at it alone. Here at the World Trade Organization, our annual flagship report tackles the debate head-on this year. Are people better served by the fragmentation of trading relationships or by a new kind of globalization? In this episode of Let's Talk Trade, WTO's chief economist Ralph Ossa tells us about the World Trade Report 2023, Reglobalization for a Secure, Inclusive, and Sustainable Future. So, let's talk trade. Hello, I'm uh, Ralph Fossa, and I'm the WTO Chief Economist. And I'm Jessica Hermosa, Communications Officer. Ralph, are we seeing the end of globalization? Well, I wouldn't say it's quite the um, end of globalization yet. In fact, uh, you know, trade continues to thrive in many ways. But it is true that uh, trade tensions are mounting and false signs of uh, fragmentation are emerging. But there's still time to act. What signs are we seeing for these first indications? So we document a, a number of facts in the World Trade Report. We divide the world into two hypothetical blocks along geopolitical lines. Of course, you don't have to take that too seriously in terms of the um, actual geopolitics, but just so you know uh, what's going on. So based on a standard foreign policy uh, similarity index. And then we just ask, you know, what has happened to trade within these blocks uh, as compared to trade between these blocks? Trade uh, within these hypothetical blocks has grown four to six percent larger than trade between these geopolitical blocks, which you could interpret as a first sign of uh, French oil. But that's just one example. We have, uh, you know, many other examples. But we also looked at the uh, committees uh, at the WTO and counted the number of trade concerns that uh, that we are seeing. And uh, if you look at the Council for Trade and Goods. Uh, Again, just an example, we see a ninefold increase in the number of trade concerns between 2015 and 2022. So all kind of signs that trade policy tensions are rising and uh, some first signs of fragmentation are emerging. And is this sign of fragmentation already being reflected in actual trade data? Well, we see the signs in, 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 in the trade data, but you know, I, I do think we also have to be very clear that this, you know, talk of deglobalization is mildly um, exaggerated. So trade is, you know, continues to be very strong, even uh, between China and the United States, for example, in 2022, uh, trade reached a a record high. Um, Also, if you look at the evolution of the trade to GDP ratio, it's true, it's not rising uh, anymore since the global financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. But we certainly don't see any massive uh, deglobalization. How about other bright spots besides um, trade in between these major trading partners? You just look at the data. What you see is that you know trade in digitally delivered services has been uh, holding up, you know, very well. Also, to the pandemic, it's been consistently outgrowing trade in uh, goods, but also trade in other services. We've had a growth rate of eight point one percent between two thousand and five and twenty twenty two. But I think more broadly, what you see is that you know trade has really been an important part of the solution to you know many of the issues that we faced in the past uh, past few years. So take the pandemic, 
where initially we we saw some supply chain um, disruptions, but then very quickly trade bounced back. You know, within a a year or less than a year from the um, from the first lockdown, trade was already back to pre-pandemic levels, and it was not just resilient itself, but was also an important source of resilience. And we saw you know traded medical goods uh, going up uh, substantively by sixteen percent in twenty twenty two. We saw trade in personal protective equipments going up by almost fifty percent. Trade in face masks even going up by eighty percent. So you could really see that you know while there were some disruptions initially, really trade helped us go uh, get through the uh, pandemic uh, much better than we would have otherwise. Right. So strong signs of resilience there of trade still doing its part. Deglobalization is not yet here, but we should be on guard. Yes, of course. So what you see is the narrative that's changing is beginning to have an effect on trade policy, and the trade policy that's changing is beginning to have an effect on trade flows. I mean, you wouldn't expect it uh, any other way. I mean, obviously, that's why we at the WTO, we are all about reducing trade barriers, because we know that trade barriers ultimately um, also affect trade flows and the well-being of people. So of course, you know, you have to be careful. The more trade frictions uh, you put in place, the, you know, sooner or later it's going to um, show up. But of course, it takes some time. So you can't just uh, dismantle global value chains overnight. So I'm not surprised that it takes some time for these effects to um, show up. And the solution the report is proposing is re-globalization. Could you define that for us? So the report, you know, besides documenting these facts that we that we talk about, is really asking the question. Trade can be part of the solution to building a more secure, a more inclusive, and a more sustainable world. And the the solution that's well, the first point it's making is that trade uh, is a is a crucial part of the solution. So contrary to um, you know some of the narratives that are emerging now, it's really crucial to embrace international trade. Um, you know to address these challenges. In particular, it's it, it's saying it's not that we just need more of the same old globalization. But we need to um, expand economic integration to more economies, to more people, and uh, to more issues. And that's what we mean by globalization. And one of the issues you're focusing on in this report is peace and security. Can you tell us about trade's role in that? Yes. One of the chapters or sections of the report, which is talking about security, but in a, in a broad sense. So it's mostly economic security, resilience of supply chains. These are the, the salient issues that came up in the context of the war in Ukraine and, and also the, the COVID pandemic. And, um, you know, there what we, what we document, so we just review the evidence, um, essentially, and what we document is that an open multilateral trading system um, really gives you the outside options that you need when supply shocks uh, hit. So rather than, you know, home shore, French shore, do all these things that it, it seems to be that a more effective solution is just um, is just to keep keep open trade and there's there's really interesting examples so one example that uh, came out of an earlier study we did uh, this year on the effects of the war in ukraine is that um, you know obviously um, some countries particularly african countries were hard hit by um, the inability of uh, ukraine and, and also russia to export grains uh, to them Ethiopia is an interesting example. Ethiopia um, imported, I think, forty-five percent uh, or something like that of its um, of its wheat from Ukraine and Russia. Then, when the war um, started, Ukrainian exports basically went to zero. Uh, Russian exports also shrank uh, dramatically. So you would have thought that um, this presented major problems then for for Ethiopia. But 
because of um, open multilateral trade, what they were able to do is make up for these uh, uh, shortfalls by importing grain from the United States, uh, also from Argentina, interestingly, um, even though they hadn't really imported any wheat from Argentina before. So you really see in times of crises, uh, outside options are key and, and the multilateral trading system is really what gives you these uh, outside options. Right, so it's a strong case for diversification for economic security. Exactly, so this would be one example now of uh, uh, of the first dimension of reglobalization when we talked about uh, extending trade integration to more countries or to more economies because the more the more diversified um, supply chains are, the more resilient they are also to country-specific shocks. And for the second issue, what about poverty reduction? Yes, so if you think about poverty and, 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 and inclusiveness, more broadly, there's many concerns that come up in the in the public debate. You know, what you hear is that the rise of China, for example, has put pressure on workers in some industrialized countries. What you hear also sometimes is that, um, you know, trade is uh, exploiting workers in developing countries, you know, um, all sorts of stories um, along those lines. And, and when it comes to poverty, you know, one thing that, 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 that we just point out is that there's been a huge amount of growth uh, in the last uh, a few decades that um, brought down poverty levels um, dramatically. The number of people are living off of less than $2.15 per day uh, fell from 55% to um, 10%. And at the same time, you saw a huge uh, uh, expansion uh, of lower and middle income countries in terms of their share in, in global exports. So you can really kind of see in the data that you know embracing trade uh, brings about, uh, or is at least important for poverty reduction, and that's that's what we all know. I think if we also look at uh, if we look at China, um, but you know we don't just look at at poverty documented in the literature that you know import competition does cause uh, winners and losers. So we're not trying to argue that you know trade is always good for everyone, but what you do see if you just look at the international comparison, there's some countries that are very exposed to international trade. Germany is an example. Uh, the Netherlands is an example. Um, Latvia is an example. These are open economies that are relatively um, equal in terms of uh, a number of measures of economic inequality. And and what this goes to show is that you know openness and and inequality are not uh, contradictions. So so inclusiveness and and trade can go hand in hand, which points to the importance of domestic policies. You also have to accompany um, trade liberalization um, with with appropriate domestic policies. And by appropriate domestic policies, what can we learn from these countries you just cited? We didn't delve into that too deeply because for us it's the it's the trade policies that are of, of primary interest. But we do touch upon it in the in the report, and, and the literature makes a distinction between active and passive uh, labor market policies. So active labor market policies would be things like you know retraining, uh, reskilling, just making sure that people can move out of um, contracting sectors into expanding sectors. Which, by the way, um, doesn't just help with adjusting to international trade. I mean, we're subject to shocks uh, all the time, and you know, industries are disappearing, new industries are uh, emerging. And then passive labor market policies, those would be things like social safety nets and so on. So if you lose your job, it's still affecting you, but not as much as, if, uh, as it would if you didn't have these policies in place. Reglobalization is about expanding trade to more economies, more people, and more uh, issues. So we discuss the economies. We also talk about people. Um, so, for example, what, what can you do to make more um, women uh, benefit from international trade? And, you know, one really interesting fact that, that comes out is that three out of four companies in Africa 
that are engaged exclusively in uh, e-commerce are led by women, uh, according to the literature, which uh, suggests that if you did something to reduce trade costs to this kind of trade out of Africa, that this would have a disproportional effect on, on women. And by trade costs, you're referring to? Basically everything that makes international trade more costly or difficult than um, domestic trade. So this includes things like transportation costs, trade policy barriers, costs to comply with foreign regulations, communication costs, transaction costs, or the cost of obtaining uh, information. And if you expand trade to new countries, you also extend it to um, more people. And besides extending it to more people, how about extending it to the environment? What does the report say about sustainable economies? The punchline is the same thing, you know, the, the, that, that most people perceive trade to be part of the problem, but, but it's really part of the solution, at least if the right accompanying policies are in place. Well, the report uh, highlights two main channels through which trade can be part of the solution. One is um, a channel that we already highlighted at, at length in last year's World Trade Report, which is the dissemination of green technologies. You know, if you um, are a wind-rich uh, country, but don't have the high-quality wind turbines, you need to, you know, harvest that, that energy, then obviously importing these wind turbines is, is good for you, but it's also good for the planet. But we also um, review some literature in this chapter which uh, suggests that there's environmental gains from trade. And the way this works is that, um, you know, we all know that the economic gains from trade and the economic gains from trade come from countries specializing in what they're relatively good at. But uh, there's also environmental gains from trade and they come from countries specializing in what they're relatively green at. And the economic gains from trade increase real incomes and the environmental gains from trade reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Now, the key difference between the two is that the economic gains from trade, at least if uh, markets are more or less undistorted, they just materialize, but the um, environmental gains from trade need some help. So they need the right uh, environmental policies in place. Like the literature we review in this chapter makes the case or points out that uh, trade is in fact a very uh, strong force multiplier for climate policies. So just as an example, and this is, uh, this is not a, a prediction or anything, it's just an example. Uh, there's a simulation study that shows if there was a worldwide carbon tax, then this worldwide carbon tax would reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And the question is how much of this reduction would be due to the environmental gains from trade and what, uh, what the study finds is that more than one third of the greenhouse gas emissions reductions would be due to the um, environmental gains from trade, which really shows that embracing international trade is key when it comes to climate change. You know, if we want to uh, successfully manage the green transition, we need, we need to do it in a way that comes at acceptable uh, uh, economic costs. And, uh, you know, trade really helps uh, in that regard. And what about the recent landscape where we're seeing more and more unilateral climate measures? What does the report say about that? That's exactly the issue. So, of course, it's uh, it's great that governments around the world see this as a policy and priority now, which is reflected in all these measures. At the same time, the report also makes clear that there's, um, uh, you know, it's it's important to have a kind of coordinated approach to climate policies, but it's also important to keep uh, keep trade open. So, in a way, the you know what we need to make sure is that you know the multilateral trading system is not does not become the collateral damage of some trade tensions that. Uh, you know, arise surrounding um, environmental policies. But we also have to make sure that the environmental policies themselves are um, well coordinated. So that's the environment, peace and security, and inclusiveness for people. 
What does that all mean for the World Trade Organization? Given that this is the WTO um, World Trade Report, of course, you know, a central theme that emerges is that WTO members really have already done uh, quite a lot. They've already made uh, quite some progress uh, towards this uh, goal in recent years. If you look at multilateral agreements, we have the Trade Facilitation Agreement, we have the Fisheries Subsidies Agreement, but there are also plurilateral outcomes on services, domestic regulation, on investment facilitation for development, um, and so on. So to cite just one number, um, WT estimates show that the Trade Facilitation Agreement um, led to a, a $321 billion increase in trade. And the, these, these trade gains have particularly accrued to least developed countries uh, who saw their exports increase by 2.4%. And 17% of this um, happened in agriculture. So you see that you know, agreements like this Trade Facilitation Agreement really help um, expanding trade to new countries, in that case, particularly um, these developing countries, which are not really that well integrated into uh, trade. To really achieve a secure, inclusive, and sustainable future, um, more does uh, need to be done. And, you know, the report also has a lot to say on that. But what is particularly interesting, I think, is uh, work related to the WTO trade cost uh, index, which uh, basically just provides a broad measure of trade costs and uh, asks uh, how they have changed over time and and you know how they compare across countries and so on and what we see is that trade costs in middle and low income countries are still 27% higher than in high income countries uh, we also see that uh, trade costs in services are 34% uh, higher than in manufacturing and uh, trade costs in agriculture are even uh, 46% higher than in manufacturing and these trade cost differentials do not only reflect policy barriers. You know, it's also about information costs, transaction costs, infrastructure, you know, all these things. So it's as if middle and low income economies faced an additional tariff of 27% uh, compared to the exports of high income economies and so on. So there's a, there's a lot to be done. And maybe any closing words about reglobalization and your final thoughts on this report? There's a narrative that's gaining traction, which... Uh, argues or increasingly argues that trade is part of the problem when it comes to building a more secure, a more inclusive, and a more sustainable world. And what this report ultimately is about is to show that um, that this is a misconception, you know, that trade, uh, at least if conceived in the right way, can be an important part of the solution to addressing these most pressing challenges of our time. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you. That was Ralph Ossa, WTO Chief Economist. You can download a copy of the World Trade Report 2023 all on the WTO website. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Trade. <laughs>